Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is a place where truth is shared, taboos are disrupted, secrets are revealed, and power is gained. I'm your host, Danny Temras, and it is my personal mission to empower women in becoming the best version of themselves. Each week, I'm bringing you inspiring guests to help you build your confidence and mental toughness so that you can live the life of your dreams. ever found yourself in an abusive relationship and were a subject of domestic violence? If yes, you're not alone. At 20 years old, Tiffany Armstrong fought off an attacker using the only three self-defense moves she knew at that time. Since then, Tiffany has dedicated her entire life to empower women in smart self-defense and has educated well over 100,000 women and their families all over the world to protect themselves in a first-of-its-kind personal safety platform. In this episode, Tiffany and I talk about her experience of being brutally assaulted, how she healed from this traumatizing experience, and broke free from victim mentality years after her first attack. We talk about the Stockholm Syndrome, which occurs when abuse victims develop a bond and come to sympathize with the abuser. Outside of that, we discuss hidden forms of manipulation, how to recognize it, and what you can do better to set boundaries and protect yourself from manipulative behavior. This is an incredibly rich, vulnerable, and inspiring episode, and I'm so thrilled to share this with you. Now, a few things you need to know about Tiffany. Tiffany has earned two black belts and has studied multiple forms of martial arts. Beyond the physical techniques, she teaches all aspects of personal safety, for example, how to overcome your own fear response, and how to carry yourself in a way that wipes you off the victim's list of many would-be attackers. Now, enjoy this wonderful, wide-ranging and inspiring conversation with Tiffany Armstrong and let me know what you thought. Tiffany, welcome on the Fearless Warrior podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I love what you're doing and the messages you've been putting out there. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. For some of the listeners are not familiar with uh, your work, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Well, you know, what I'm known for is my self-defense and personal safety skills. And I've been teaching that for 22 years after I survived my own attack, which I know we'll probably end up talking about. But um, what I stand for is women's empowerment throughout the entire world and also the side of uh, mindset, you know, just helping us to understand our own self-worth and things like that. So I am a women's empowerment coach, self-defense coach, and I use my past experiences, which I know we'll get into, to help support women through their own challenges. I love that. I think this is so important on all fronts. Self-empowerment, self-worth, these are all big topics that I struggled with for many years. And and you really need to kind of work through it because otherwise you just kind of keep living in your own bubble and uh, yeah, you need to burst through it. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. You're exactly right on. It's amazing all the aspects that it, it affects in our lives when we're struggling on some level. And so many times it's this subconscious self-sabotage that we don't realize we're doing. And so uh, you're right on. Once we break through that, it's amazing how life can shift into such a, a beautiful path that we didn't know existed before. Absolutely. You discover the inner strength, right? Like the warrior within you. She has always been there, right? But she's been 
Yeah, just a little bit in the corner, right? Like, you know, the famous line, nobody's going to put baby in the corner. It's like, I'm a warrior, you know? That's a great way to put that. I might steal that from you. That's fantastic. Oh, I love the movie, too. It's my all-time favorite. Oh, yeah, that's anyway. That's what sparked my interest in dancing. I just love to dance. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I just always wanted a man to pick me up and catch me like that over his head. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I love dance, too. I think I have still opportunities to grow when it comes to dancing, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. So wh- why don't we just start with your story of how you got into self-defense? I know this might be started right getting to it, but I really want to get into the core why you got into coaching, why you got into self-defense. So if you could tell us a little bit more about your personal experience, that would be great. Absolutely. Well, I'm a very open book. So I will share that I went through years and years of abuse as a child and that shifted something. And I'm going to actually come back to that later. So I won't get into the details right now. But what happened was I was constantly given all these signals that I had no self-worth, that I was worthless, that I was there for other people's benefit and pleasure. And what challenge I came up with is that I became very insecure, had no idea of my own self-worth, and I really struggled with severe (laughs) people-pleaserism. That's not a word, but I make it up. But I was such a severe people-pleaser. And the reason I bring that up is because then in college, I was sitting at my friend's house, and there was about 12 of us sitting around, very relaxed, uh, having a couple of drinks and appetizers, and a home invader broke in. He broke in. He walked right in the front door. So we were all sitting around on the couches, and then all of a sudden, the front door slams open. We all jump, and I turn around, and it was at an acquaintance's house. It was a friend of a friend. So I had no idea who belonged there, who didn't belong there. In walks this six foot four ish, so he's a tall guy oversized sweatshirt, looks clearly like he was on drugs, and he just walks in like he owns the place. And me, just for one second, was thinking, well, maybe this is the brother coming home because I didn't know who lived there. So I turn around and I look at everybody's faces and I just saw panic across everybody's faces and especially the, the kid who lived there. He looked so scared more than anybody. And within seconds, this guy walks in around the couch, passes several people, just lands on me and stuck his hand straight down my shirt, started licking my neck and my ear. It was the most disgusting thing. And the craziest part was that nobody moved. Not one person moved in the whole room. And one of those people was my very good friend at the time. And he was a fourth degree black belt at the time. And he panicked in fear, which is one of the reasons I talk so much about overcoming our own fear response, because people can learn self-defense skills up the wazoo, but if they don't understand how to not panic in the moment, that's a problem. Those are rendered useless, clearly. So one of the reasons I talk about that so much. So anyway, this guy's on top of me and nobody moves. Everybody's just sitting there in panic. And so I thought, well, I have to take this into my own hands. And I was not... um, just cool, calm, and collected. I was freaking out inside, but I thought I have to stay calm and get this guy off of me. So I just lightly patted him back and just said, hey, you know, look, it doesn't seem like anybody knows you here, but we have so much beer and food and we can just send you on your way with a whole, like what a care package, if you will. But I didn't say care package. He took us up on it. And so he literally starts shoving beers in his sweatshirt. He takes literally a heaping plate of food and walks out the front door 
like you leave grandma's house with a plate of food. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing. So he leaves, and that was the first part of the attack because there's another part to it. So we thought, okay, we're in the clear, but we were so overwhelmed with like, what the heck just happened? This guy just walked right in. So what happened was we went around and locked all the doors, and then somebody asked the kid who lived there, we should probably, or said, we should probably go lock all the windows. And he said, no, we live in a one-story house. Uh, we never unlock our windows. So we did not go check the windows. So I don't know why, but us silly kids at that time did not call the police. We just thought he was gone and it was just this creepy thing that happened. And I don't know why we didn't involve the police. But anyways, that's just how we were. So we went into the living room and started talking about it. So probably about somewhere between 30 minutes and 60 minutes after that, um, I lose a little track of the, the timeline, but I was walking from the living room down this hallway to the kitchen and there happens to be a bathroom in the hallway and I'm walking completely you know not assuming anything and all of a sudden these hands reach out rapid fire speed out of the bathroom pull me in and shut the door and it was him he got back in the house and he was grabbing he grabbed me so tight immediately he was so powerful that his fingers were literally inside my skin and he was slamming me as hard as a 6 foot 4 guy could slam somebody up against the wall he was slamming me through the door and all i could think of was i needed to stay conscious and I had literally just learned three self-defense moves, actually three self-defense concepts, two weeks before. I was in a kickboxing class, trying to lose weight, get in shape, and the martial arts facility owner came in and said, hey, do you guys want to learn some self-defense moves And while you stretch, while you cool down? And we were like, heck yes, we do. And so he just literally showed us three things. And I was thinking, gosh, like I, I did not know any self-defense at the time. And so all I could think about was I need to stay conscious and, oh my gosh, I have to try these moves. That's all I could think about. And by the way, he was a side note. He was telling me he was going to rape and murder me. And then he was going to find my purse, find my address and go kill my family. That's exactly what he was telling me. So he was very, very scary and he meant business. And so he was slamming me up against the wall to try to get me to pass out. And then he said he was going to rape me. And so what happened was I stayed conscious because I was tucking my chin to my chest to try to avoid the head hits. But then also I just used these three moves. So I got out of his grips. I distracted him low, which I'll tell you guys this concept in a little bit. And then I struck high. So I struck him in the nose with my palm and it snapped his head back to the point where he fell over and it allowed me to get out of the bathroom. And so I'm holding the door shut and my friend who happens to be the fourth degree black belt was walking down the hallway just completely nonchalantly and he saw blood down my arms and he said, oh my gosh, what happened? And I said, he's in here. So he held the door. I called the cops and when the police came, they said he was wanted for two rapes and an attempted homicide. So he was the real deal. And so they had been looking for him. So obviously he went, you know, straight off to prison and then went through the whole court system. But the craziest part for me at the end of that was that they put him in the back of the police car. And then the police officer came back in and interviewed me. And then he came back in again later and he said, I need to tell you something. And I said, what's that? And he said, he told us that he targeted you. And I said, what? How did he target me? You know, because he walked in that front door and just walked straight around to me. It was like he was laser beaming towards me. And they said he was watching you from the outside for somewhere between a half hour to an hour, something about that. But he was watching from the outside through the window. And he told them that I was the easiest target because I looked the most insecure. I was not the most attractive girl in the room. I was overweight back then. I was struggling with my own self-worth. And 
I was the only person there who didn't know anybody else, so except for my friends. And so I was kind of the new girl. So I was feeling insecure and a little shy and all that stuff. My body language gave off a vibe that I was the easiest target because when we look insecure like that, we give off a vibe that it looks like we don't have enough self-worth to fight for ourselves. And so that is exactly, he didn't say it all in those words, but that was what he was insinuating was that I was the easiest target because I looked the most insecure in the room. And so that was that story. And after that, first of all, I was paranoid for two years, severely paranoid about anybody like walking down the street. I was just constantly looking over my shoulder and looking paranoid until I found out that attackers target people who look paranoid, which I'm going to get into a study a little bit later with you guys about that. So then that's the only reason I shifted out of paranoia. But all that to say, I felt so called to not only start learning self-defense for myself, but I felt called to learn this and make it my mission in life to help women all the way around the world and men and children to understand how to physically handle somebody, but also how to handle their emotions and mindset around it, how to de-escalate situations, how to do all the things. So I started studying self-defense and the field of victimology to help get this word out there. And so I've been teaching this for 22 years now. I've taught probably over well over 100,000 women, you know, by themselves, but also I've been teaching men and and children along the way too. So that is how I got into self-defense and came from quite a a scary situation. But now, you know, I'm, I live to speak about it. And now I am helping other women avoid attackers like that and be able to prevent that from happening even in, even in the first place. Wow, I'm just so amazed at how you were able to stay calm in that situation and stay in charge, right? Like it was really through your conscious mind that you were able to get out of his hands and ultimately kind of get him of locked up or, or like, you know, call the police, save yourself and save your life. I'm so glad that you're out there teaching women how to defend themselves because we can never predict these situations, but we need to be ready if they come. So, wow, there are so many things that you unpacked. Uh, so you talked about how your body language gives off a vibe, right? If you're feeling insecure, then others can see that. So what would you say to those who, let's say, are feeling insecure about themselves for different reasons? How can they make themselves more confident or even like protect themselves against potential threat? Oh, absolutely. I love that question. That's such a high quality question because there are some very simple things we can do to not only help start shifting our self-worth, but also wipe ourselves off the victim list of a lot of attackers. And in this, it's not every attacker, but it's a lot of them. And the reason is because there was a research study done and these two researchers went into a prison And they sat down all of these criminals, just a whole bunch of them, but one at a time. And what they had these criminals do one at a time is watch this video of people walking down the busy streets of New York. And what the one question was that they asked immediately was, who would you choose as victims? And these criminals, without hesitation, said, that person, that person, that person, that person, that person. They immediately knew. They didn't even have to study these people. They didn't even have to look at them closely. They didn't even take into their body size. It was just amazing how quick they answered the question. But also the crazy part is that almost every single criminal chose the exact same people. So there was something about those people that they were tar- they would target them. And so then when asked why they chose the people that they chose, there was two main reasons. 
Number one, it's that the people were distracted, which is the one that we all assume, right? One of the biggest things is take those headphones off, take those earbuds out because that puts you on the target list of an attacker because you cannot hear them coming. And so that is one of the number one things they look for is do they have headphones on? Because then I can sneak up on them. But anything where they were distracted. But the second thing, and this was the mind blowing one for me, it's that they didn't look like they had enough self-worth to fight for themselves. So whether that meant that their breast bone was down, like they were slouching, maybe walking slow, maybe shuffling their feet. Maybe the expression on their face was giving off a vibe that they felt overwhelmed, defeated. And one of the things I, I have people do as an exercise, go ahead and do this with me, but go ahead and just slouch for a second, Daniela. And I want mm-hmm. you to just slouch and tell me uh, two or three words that come to mind when you're just completely slouching, look down, have sad looking eyes or relaxed eyes. What, what comes to mind here for you? Weak and down. Mm-hmm. Sad. Yeah, sad and powerless. A lot of people say powerless, defeated, low energy, all that kind of stuff. Well, if you're an attacker, isn't that what you're looking for? You don't want somebody to be like, no, I, you know, and, and who's willing to set a mm-hmm. boundary. Now go ahead and sit tall, shoulders back, chin up just slightly, pull up that power and tell me just one or two words that come to mind here. Strong, empowered, confident. Exactly. And is that what an attacker is going to choose, you know, more often than not, of course not. Right. And so it's so important that we actually, our hormones actually shift in our body when we slouch versus when we sit up tall, when we sit up tall and and give off that vibe, like we have enough self-worth to fight for ourselves, our testosterone increases in our bodies. And then also our cortisol level decreases, which is the stress hormone. And we give off that vibe. You, we've all been in a situation where like a restaurant or, you know, any situation at an event and all of a sudden a woman walks in and everybody takes notice. And it's that type of woman who's, you know, maybe dressed classy and things like that. But when she's walking with such confidence, not cocky, not like attention seeking, she just has that level of confidence. Do you think an attacker would typically pick her out of the crowd? Of course not. Right. And so Following that prison study, even if you feel insecure with yourself, even if you are struggling with your own self-worth, when you walk around with that confidence, you at the very least are giving off a vibe that you have enough self-worth to fight for yourselves. And the whole thing is as you walk like that, that starts to become your new home. You're shifting your own hormones within yourself. And the more you walk like that with confidence and look, make eye contact, don't look at the ground, make eye contact, that actually starts to shift your own self-worth just by doing that. It's scientifically proven (laughs) and I'm a science dork. So I follow all the science and data. But um, so that's one of the ways that we can start shifting, you know, and protecting ourselves. It's a preventative measure, but also it can, it can truly start shifting a piece of our self-worth. I love that. I loved it. And I love how you said, make your, make this your new home, right? I believe that confidence can be trained or it's a, it's a skill we can develop. And ultimately it's also like where we come from when we, when it comes to, how we think about ourselves, right? I would say it's a it's a certain state of being, but it's something we can continuously elevate until we really get to a level where we know this is our solid foundation of, of self-worth. And yet, you know, we can we can always improve that or there are ups and downs that we go through. And we need to know that our self-worth is not dependent on anything that we do or don't do, but we are simply worthy because we are. Because we were born, we were given this gift of life, or that's at least how I look at it. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. 
Oh, absolutely. I really do believe that these are things that can be shifted. And this is just coming from my history. I was abused as a child. I really did not understand my own self-worth until about four maybe five years ago at this point. I struggled deeply. I mean, I'm talking, check myself into a, a facility because I was so suicidal. I was really, really struggling with it. And people now, when they look at me and talk to me, they cannot believe I used to be like that. And that came from my sexual abuse growing up. That came from my paranoia from my attack. But then that's the whole thing. This is the fascinating thing is I then got into two marriages that were very abusive, physically and verbally abusive towards me. And I mean, I'm very transparent. One of my ex-husbands raped me over and over again. And I knew the physical techniques to get him off of me, right? I knew the self-defense skills. I knew exactly how to get him off of me. And the thing was, my mindset wasn't there, right? My mindset, I didn't, I, th I thought I deserved it on some level. And so until I coupled my own self-worth and my worthiness with my self-defense skills right now, oh my goodness, if I ever was in, you know, a relationship where my significant other started doing something like that, I'm sorry, I would not hesitate to take him down, right? But it's a mindset thing. And all of us struggle with mindset on some level, but it can be overcome even in the worst situations, no matter what you've gone through in life, no matter what, we get to rewrite our future and use our past to guide the light, you be the guiding light for us to shift. And one of the big things is not staying stuck in victim mentality, right? I did a whole like a TEDx style talk all about victim mentality. And I was stuck in victim mentality until four years ago. That's why I kept getting into those abusive relationships and having friends who cut me down and all the things, right? Once I shifted that, and I'll tell you a couple tips of how I did that. But once I shifted that, there's no way in heck I completely surrounded myself with new types of friends. And I'm very unapologetic about who I have in my life. I'm very choosy. I don't isolate myself. I'm just very choosy about who I have because if somebody doesn't have good intentions for me, they, they don't belong in my life. And that includes family. I have cut family members out and set them a very beautiful, peaceful, I set them free. But I don't need anybody in my life who is trying to take me down, right? And none of us need that, no matter who it is in your life. So I encourage you to, to make that decision today, and your, li your listeners, make that decision today to do what it takes to say yes to your own self-worth. Say yes to yourself, even though it's uncomfortable to set boundaries, which we can talk about. So do, would you want me to hop into a couple of tips about how I started to shift that in the first place? Yes, I love that. So you said so many great things. And, you know, I was exactly going to ask you, like, what changed in your um, mentality so that you could, you know, change your life, right? And, and starting with the shifting from victim mindset to maybe a victor or, I don't know, can tell us more about what that um, shift was, but definitely that would be a good thing to dive into. Absolutely. Well, one of the things is, you know, the best coaches in the world have coaches, right? So I surrounded myself with different life coaches and, you know, I just asked for help myself. And one of the challenges that my life coach gave me from day one, uh, and this tremendously helped me, and now it's something I teach, is to understand boundaries. And the funny thing is he gave me something called the no challenge, N-O, the no challenge. And Two whole weeks, he had me say no to every single request of me. It almost put me into a panic attack to say no 
to every single request. And the way he words it is, even when you go out to dinner, like when you go out to eat and the waitress comes and offers you some water, you just at first, just at first say, oh, no, thank you so much, you know, and you say no. And you can say no in the most kind ways, you know, you don't have to say no. So it's just a nice, you know, saying no. And then if uh, then you do want that glass of water, then what you do is you then say, oh, you know what? On second thought, I would love I would love a glass of water, like when she comes back the next time. Right. And what was so fascinating to me is so, and obviously, like with our work, you know, and things like that, we can't say no to, you know, our workload and things like that. But when asked for requests, like some some bosses will just put everything on you and you say, yes, yes, yes. And then you're constantly feeling resentful of them. Right. So there's certain things, even with work, that we do need to say no about. But what was so fascinating that I realized is during that no challenge, I ended up having people respect me more. So being a people pleaser, my sole survival depended on people liking me. I mean, I would do anything. I was a chameleon. I was a manipulator in the sense, not with bad intentions, but I would manipulate people in the sense of I wanted to be whoever they wanted me to be so they would like me. And that, if you really think about that, that's actually manipulative to settle a fear of mine, right? And so what I was doing was when you're saying, when I was saying no, I was shocked that people, most people weren't upset at all. They just respected it. And some people got snippy or sarcastic or passive aggressive. And I just let that be their thing, right? That's just their issue. Mm-hmm. But I had some, a couple people in my life that I had walls up to. I mean, they had walls up to me and I never knew why. And I, the harder I would try to get them to like me, the more kind of standoffish or closed they would be. When I actually said no to these two people over this two week period, the walls came down and they respected me. And the reason was, come to find out later, is they didn't respect me as a woman. They didn't respect me. They they knew that I was a people pleaser and they didn't respect me because I didn't respect myself. And so they actually knew that I was saying what I needed to say to get them to like me. And it's known, us people pleasers, we are manipulators. It's not Like I said, it's not malice. It's not vicious. But we manipulate people into liking us and some people will pick up on that and actually put a wall up to you. So I had more people absolutely shift their respect level for me like within a week. And I've known some of these people for 20 years, you know, and I was just blown away by it. So I was shocked that people responded way better than I thought. I thought people were going to not like me. And then how do we like, who is Tiffany if nobody likes me? Like I was just so, I was so scared about it. So the first thing I would offer you and your listeners is to do the no challenge, at least for one week. And the beautiful part about it is when you start saying no and setting those nice, sweet boundaries, you know, you can say it in a kind way, non-emotional boundaries. um, When you start setting those boundaries, it's amazing how much it shifts your self-worth because you're respecting yourself enough to say no when it's not right to say yes, right? Because so many of us say yes to everything and then all of a sudden we're resentful. So the last piece of that is what I realized also is let's just say I got invited to 15 events, okay? And let's say I wanted to go to all of them, but by the fifth event, I start getting tired. My energy starts to get drained. And so from all the rest of the events that I have to go to now, because I committed to it, in quotes, you know, I would start feeling resentful about being at these events because I was like, I don't want to be here. I'm exhausted. I said yes, you know, to too much. And so what I realized is when you say no to everything first, and then you really look at those 15 events, just as the example, and you say, you know what, these four events I really want to go to. Then when you come back around and say yes to those four events only, 
When you're there, you are so thrilled to be there and you feel so good because you protected your energy and you chose, like you are choosing to be there. You're not there out of obligation to have people like you. So I cannot say enough about just taking one week and doing the no challenge. It will shift so much. So that is literally the first thing I did to help start shifting my self-worth is a huge deal for me. I love that. Again, so many things that you mentioned, and I want to dive into this more. So definitely encourage everybody to do the no challenge. So important. Now, uh, you talked about manipulation. So similarly, like you, I also was a people pleaser to some extent, also because of my self-worth issues or imposter syndrome, but I never connected it that if you're trying to please others and you're hoping that they may like you in return, that this is a form of manipulation. So because like you're not really thinking about it that way, like, right, you just want to be liked or you want to belong. Mm-hmm. Could you talk more about that and the concept of manipulation? Absolutely. Here's a really simple way to look at it. Let's just say maybe you're in a relationship or a friendship or your mom, whoever it is. Okay. Let's just say you're in this relationship and you do something very, very nice, very kind, very heartfelt for them. And just because you want to, right? But you have this kind of subconscious, I'm doing this because I want to be liked because I want them to be proud of me, because, I, you know, whatever, that's like you're doing something for somebody else to fulfill yourself, right? So the big indicator, the big red flag for yourself to know if it was a manipulation or if you just genuinely did it out of the kindness of your heart is what would happen if you did something kind for somebody and they didn't come across as appreciative? If they weren't like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. If they were like, oh, thanks. And they just like didn't appreciate it enough for your liking, you know what I mean? For what you would expect. And you feel offended and you feel frustrated by it. That is a very big sign that you are doing that as a manipulation to get them to give you some words of affirmation, give you a compliment, give you, you know, give you connection. And so if you're doing something nice for somebody and they don't appreciate it or they don't reciprocate with another nice thing back to you, right? So if you've been cooking them dinner for a whole week because they were busy and then all of a sudden you get busy and they don't cook you dinner and you get upset about it, that was a manipulation. You were doing that not because you genuinely wanted to you know, help support them through their week, which I mean, that's a piece of it. Don't get me wrong. Like you really want to help, you know what I mean? But if you all of a sudden then get offended or have your feelings hurt because they didn't do that back for you, then you shouldn't have done it in the first place or you need to just shift your expectations around it. So if we ever do something nice for somebody else and then we put a set of expectations on that person, like we expect them to behave a certain way. We expect them to say this, that we expect them to return the favor. That is straight up a manipulation. And that comes from our people pleasing, especially when we go say something real sweet to somebody like, oh, because I used to, I'll say this, my ex-mother-in-law, I was so sweet to her. You know, when she liked something, I would go get it for her. I gave her cards, all this stuff. And she just wanted nothing to do with me. I was taking her son away from her, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's one of those typical situations. And so the harder I tried to get her to like me, the more I did for her, the more hurt I felt when she wasn't kind to me or whatever. And so basically I was trying to get her to like me because I was feeling unfulfilled with our relationship. And um, I felt hurt 
than if she wasn't nice to me. And that hurts. That's the reality. Like when somebody's not nice to you, that hurts. Don't get me wrong. But I needed to not sit there and like sit at her feet begging her to like me either with cards and all the stuff, you know? So I just set her free in that. And then once in a while, she would actually do something nice for me. And it's because I wasn't coming across as begging her to like me kind of thing. So again, looking back, it was just a manipulation because then I would feel resentful towards her when she wasn't nice to me. I was like, wait a minute, I did all these nice things for you. How could you not be nice to me? So I shouldn't have done the nice things in the in the first place because it wasn't coming from a genuine place of mine. Mm -hmm. This was such a good example. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I do want to talk more about manipulation because it can be oftentimes so hidden, even like to our own eyes. So like this example, are there other examples you can share how manipulation coming into our lives or like we are not even aware of it? Uh, what else should we be mindful of? Yes. This is one of my favorite topics to teach. This is something I actually teach in my personal development course is I went to a Tony Robbins event. I've been through all his events and, and a whole bunch of different types of events. So one of the things he shares and it just blew my mind and I've actually done a little bit of a tweaking because after working with people, I've realized there's a little bit more to it. But the simplicity is that we each have each human, each of us has six human needs, six main needs in life. Okay. But just to focus on four of them. We have love and connection. So we do things like we want to feel love and connected. Sometimes we want to feel significance, significance in the sense like we want to feel unique and special. Okay. Then the other two are we want to feel certainty. So like certainty around our finances, certainty around our relationships that we're not going to get cheated on, those types of things. And then the fourth one is variety, which is, you know, like those types of people who will just jump on a plane and travel to Bali for, you know, and drop all their stuff and go there for two months. You know what I mean? Those people who love variety. So the big thing is we have those four human needs. The big thing is we will meet those needs no matter what. But we could either meet them in a resourceful, healthy way, or we could meet them in an unresourceful, unhealthy way. And I'm just going to give you one example. Again, I'm fully transparent. So I will say my mother, I, don't, I actually don't have a relationship with her anymore. And one of the things that she was so stuck on is victim mentality. And when she was stuck in victim mentality, here's what it would look like. One of her top human needs is love and connection. Okay. And so when she would want that love and connection when she would crave that instead of doing something healthy and saying, Hey, come give me a hug, you know, and like maybe giving me a compliment or doing something positive. Right. And like, you know, sometimes you do something nice for somebody and they do something nice back. That's like a nice, healthy way to do, um, without expectations though, like we talked about, but that's a nice, healthy way to bring in love and connection. Right. But the way she would meet it is in an unresourceful way. And so what she would do is complain, uh, do the victim thing. Like all of us would be about to go out to dinner, my whole family. And then right when we were walking out the door, she'd go, Oh, my back hurts. I'm just not going to go. And da, 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 da. And what I used to do growing up was, okay, mom, I'll stay home with you. And then she got her love and connection, but it wasn't that in a manipulative way. Right. And as I grew up, I started saying, okay, I'm so sorry, your back's hurting. Let me get you a heating pad if you need it, something like that. But I would still go to dinner because I was not going to reinforce her negative behavior to get this love and connection. So just another super simple example that has a little bit to do with self-defense is what is the quickest way somebody can get significance? It is a criminal who puts a gun in your face. 
and says, give me your money or da, 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 whatever else. They are instantly significant in your life. Okay. There's another wonderful way to get significance in a healthy, resourceful way is to give to charity or to volunteer. You know, you can actually get that significance need met by doing nice things in the world. And so we meet these needs in different ways. And it really, a lot of that comes down to, are you in victim mentality when you're trying to meet those needs? Or are you in a healthy, resourceful way trying to meet these needs and being a, not a strain on, on your family, not a strain on, in your life? So that's why I talk so much about shifting away from victim mentality. But I have worked with ta- so many people and I will come across those people. And I used to be one of these so I can own it is people would try to help me, help me, help me, like give me guidance. And all I wanted to do was complain and be heard and I never moved. I never shifted. So they'd give me all this advice, all this help, but then I would just stay stuck. I just don't know why this always happens to me. Da, 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 da. It never goes my way. Why do I end up in relationships like this? Well, I ended up with two abusive marriages because I wanted to stay stuck in victim mentality because I was getting something out of it. I was getting my needs met, but not in a resourceful way. So if anybody is ever stuck emotionally speaking, it's because they are meeting their human needs in an unresourceful way, and they don't know how to meet them in a resourceful way. That's something I help guide people through in a very in-depth way, uh, individualized way, because every situation is different. But it really does come down to that. And if you think about it, my mom was trying to manipulate my love and connection for her by, oh, my back hurts all of a sudden. She did that like clockwork. It was every single time. And so... um you know, if she didn't like something, she'd just go in the other room and pout. And then, you know, what I do growing up, I'd go in and be like, mom, what's going on? And then she was, you know, I was five years old and she's unloading all her, all her stuff on me. I was not supposed to be her emotional crutch, right? So it's amazing when people use somebody else as an, an emotional crutch, but there's a whole difference between now, if I really am feeling stuck on something and I will call a friend of mine and I'll say, you know what, I'm feeling stuck. I want to get unstuck. Can I run this by you and you give me your perspective? But my intention is I want to get unstuck and I mean it. If I call somebody and just complain and complain and complain and I feel heard, well, that's just not, you know, you you know, when you get on the phone call with those people and they drain your energy, they are in victim mentality and they are not wanting to get unstuck. So you can give advice all day long. These people aren't going to change. And so it's a matter of us also being aware of that and other people. So we're not saying yes to too much. Those are where we start setting boundaries, you know, and saying, hey, you know, I'd love to hear you. I have five minutes. Can you bullet point what's going on with you? I'll give you some thoughts. You know, you can keep it nice and short. Right. I can only imagine what the answer would be if you say, oh, I have five minutes. I can imagine that they are a victim within that wouldn't like that. But still, it's something that we need to do to kind of stand up for ourselves and also to protect our own energy and our uh, mental health. Because uh, that, like these uh, conversations, these toxic relationships have an impact on our mental health. So I think uh, what you're sharing is incredibly important. Thank you so much. Yeah, it is amazing how that's part of the self-worth thing that we keep bringing up over and over again. This is what you stand for. This is one of the reasons I love following you is because you encourage people to take a stand for themselves and it starts with from within, right? And so when we do have these other people who are meeting their six human needs in an unresourceful way and using us, they're manipulating us in that sense. It's our responsibility to put a stop to it and to say no. And we can do it in a very gracious way. 
boundaries, healthy boundaries are not emotional. They're not manipulative. They're not aggressive. They're not like, I'm not taking your call anymore. You know, you don't get emotional about it. <laughs> Non-emotional boundaries are healthy boundaries. And those are when we did, that's what I started doing with my mom is, is I would say, hey, you know, I'm going to share this with you, but I really only have time, you know, to tell you a couple things or something like that. Or if she started going down victim mentality, I would just shift the conversation. I would just blatantly like shift the conversation in a very nice, kind way. But but then she would always bring it back. And so I realized I needed to keep my conversations very short with her. And I actually ended up, this is, again, full transparency. I ended up having a conversation with her, setting up a phone call. And I said, you know what? I just want you to know I love you. I care for you. I want great things for you. And I need to share something with you. And what that is, is when we talk, I do need it to be about positive things. And if you ever truly need some advice on something, I'm willing to hear as long as you're actually willing to take action and shift that. Because what I'm not willing to do is hear the same thing over and over again anymore and have you not do anything about it. And again, I love you and I care for you, but I just need you to know that that's how our conversations need to go from this point on. And the person is either going to make a shift for the positive or stay stuck in victim mentality and start shutting you out of their lives. But that's a decision I made saying, you know what, that was just something I was willing to accept. And that was me having enough self-worth to know that that was a right decision for me. And that's what I encourage everybody to do, no matter who it is in your life, no matter who it is. I love that. That's such a great recommendation. And I applaud you for having that self-worth for yourself and respect for yourself to stand up and really draw these boundaries. Because I imagine it is much harder with our own family or the people who are closest to us, but it's probably what's most important and needs to, and needs to be done. So... Actually, out of curiosity, if you don't mind asking, how did your mom respond to that conversation? She actually, and I said, I'll help you. You know, I'll help you through that process. I can help you through this shift, support you. But again, it needs to be along the lines that I just mentioned. And she actually stepped up for a little while. She did step up. She was like, okay. She's like, you know, what do you see about me? And she was actually asking for some self-reflection and my perspective on it. And she was open to it. But I will tell you, she has a bit of uh, mental illness. And part of the my upbringing with her is she knew about the sexual abuse and didn't do anything about it. And so I, I needed to actually was one of those people that I did need to phase out of my life, but I did give her the opportunity. And her response was initially for the first month, she was like, you know, coming to me with positive things and da, 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 da. but her need to be in victim mentality was so deeply ingrained in her that she actually ended up I'll say this, and I actually have never shared this before, but when I got on stage in front of 600 people and shared my story for the very first time publicly about my sexual abuse, about all that, I didn't throw her under the bus. I didn't even mention her. I didn't even mention who abused me sexually. But she was so mortified that I was going to stand up and share our family secret with the world that she stopped talking to me. And I was okay with that because that was me standing up on that stage meant that I was closing my circle of healing. Like I was finally speaking because when I used to speak, my voice would go really, really high. I would pass out on stage. I could not do public speaking. And it came from me as a little girl not being able to use my voice. Like it just didn't matter. So not only was I sexually abused, but my mom was also very, very abusive psychologically speaking. And so 
I was giving her that final opportunity to support me through that process and she just couldn't bring herself to. And so from that point on, I just felt such clarity around setting her free. I love her. I want good things for her, but I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years and I actually feel so solid about that. There's nothing like birthdays don't come up that I feel sad and Christmas and all the things. I, I feel so grateful that she's living her life the way she just needs to. I wish differently for her. But on the same note, my life was such a toxic cycle with her in it that I needed to set myself free and forgive myself through that whole process and all that. And I gave it my all. That's what I can stand by. So that's how it all happened. And again, I've never shared that with anybody. Before. Thank you. I really yeah. respect you for that. And honestly, I feel like this can give so much inspiration, strength and hope to others who are in a similar position. So I think your story overall is so powerful and inspiring. And I really admire you for standing up for yourself so much, but even like tying all of this together for us so that we can really understand, you know, how you transform your life. And the one thing that, that really stood out for me, and the last thing you shared is that you were saying you had a hard time speaking publicly and, and that's because you couldn't express your voice and let's say what you were struggling with already as a child or later on, right? You were maybe not allowed to talk about certain things because that would mean that the, uh, the family's reputation is put in jeopardy or even these might be some things I may be concluding, but... Um, no, you're right yeah. on. That's exactly right. This like manifested really in almost like a physical hindrance, right? Or I'm, I'm not saying it had um, changes of speech per se, but right, like this fear, right, had some physical manifestations, which uh, you know, I mean, the, the public speaking, uh, really to the public speaking specifically. But it all makes sense to me, so that's why I feel like it's it's so powerful, and that's why we do need to speak up right and when something happens and even if other people don't want us to speak up we need to realize that this is more important than staying in hiding or staying in that shame cycle you're so right on it's amazing like one of the things i talk about so much is awareness because so many times we're going through life kind of on autopilot we have the same types of reactions we have the same types of gut feelings we have the same you know uh, body sensations as you're mentioning and we don't stop and think why am i feeling like somebody's choking me while i'm giving a speech and even the hour up before you know, like i felt like i was going to have a panic attack but i always felt really intense tightness around my neck. Like somebody literally had their hands around my neck every single time before I'd give any presentation. It could be to two people. It could be to 2000 people. I still had that same sensation. I passed out cold in college in front of 80 people, just fainted. And I was giving a five minute simple speech. But I think the awareness of just when you do feel a body sensation, it's almost interesting. Like you look at it like a science experiment, like you can kind of emotionally detach in the sense of what is going on here and looking at it scientifically speaking with curiosity, like childlike curiosity, like why is my reaction always when my spouse says this, this is my reaction. It's like the, anything that's a knee jerk reaction or a body sensation, it starts with you being aware that that's happening in the first place. And then we can start digging into, hey, is this meeting one of your six human needs? And what's a healthier way to meet those needs instead? And is this bringing up a fear of abandonment? Is this bringing up your childhood stuff? You know, all the stuff that stuff I help support people through because it's so fascinating when we're unaware, we're walking around with just blinders on with our patterns. So I really just, I mean, a first, a simple first step is when something comes up for you, where do you feel it in your body? 
and then start doing some work around that. And then as you start to do self-awareness work, all of a sudden, like when that same challenge comes up and you don't feel that same body sensation, you know you have made shifts. You know that you have actually rewired some of your neurology, your nervous system to not have that same body sensation. Because mine, I used to have complex PTSD and I actually have very, very few symptoms of that anymore. But when I would speak to one of my abusers, because he was still in my life, most of my life, when I would speak to him, if I would simply have a different opinion. Like he was saying one time, you know, something, oh, my favorite is pepperoni pizza. Like we literally were talking about pizza. And I said, I prefer sausage, you know, (laughs) but just to say the words, I actually don't prefer pepperoni. Just something that completely was just different from his, as simple as it was about talking about pizza. My whole body would start to shake and shiver as if I was out in the snow naked. I was, and my voice would quiver and da, da, da. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why is my body shaking like, like this? And it was one of those subconscious PTSD symptoms. But once I became aware of that, I was able to think like, man, and I ended up eventually cutting him out of my life. I had Stockholm syndrome with him. One of my abusers, I had Stockholm syndrome. Do you know what that is? No. Could you tell me more about that? Yeah. It's that you, a lot of people will actually have empathy and sympathy for their abuser and actually put them up on a pedestal. And so the the reason they call it Stockholm syndrome is there was a bank robbery and they held these hostages. So these bank robbers held these hostages and over time, it happened over quite a period of time. And over time, it's like, okay, so these hostages, their life depended on these bank robbers. They could shoot them or not shoot them. So these bank robbers started to, in a sense, befriend these hostages and, you know, like, oh, we're, we're not going to hurt you if, you know, and so all of a sudden these hostages started to want to defend the bank robbers. So when the police were, you know, surrounding it and da-da-da-da, these hostages wanted to protect the bank robbers, the people who were just threatening to kill them. So that's called Stockholm syndrome. And all growing up, I had one specific abuser that lasted the full 10 years and it happened every single week. And I actually didn't understand why other people didn't do that with me. Like I thought that he and I had this special relationship. It started when I was three years old. It groomed me. And I didn't know any differently. And so I put him up on this pedestal. So my entire life until four years ago, he was, I would say he's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. It was so bizarre. And he was doing horrible things to me growing up and sometimes very violent. So I had Stockholm syndrome. And so I would still have these conversations with him, but I didn't realize I had complete PTSD meltdowns whenever I would disagree with him. That was me asking for help and trying to sort through my PTSD. And so now I teach about that. But it's really fascinating. Again, I had this body sensation, but I wasn't aware of what it was. I just, I knew I shivered when I spoke to him, but I had no clue why. I'd never was aware enough to even think about why. And so once I started learning that and having the awareness of this body sensation, I don't have that anymore. It's once in a very, very blue moon that I have a little bit of those shakies come up. And I am now very aware of, instead of having just a knee-jerk reaction and a meltdown, I'm like, oh, I'm having a PTSD symptom here, you know? And it's very, very, I mean, it's like 1% of what it used to be, but now I'm just aware, like, okay, I've just got to, I got to breathe through this and I don't judge it. I don't freak out about it anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know? And so I'm just like, oh, what just happened that I'm having this symptom? And I'm like, oh, noted. Now I know that I 
don't need to, da, 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 you know, but I did end up cutting all my abusers out of my life, by the way. And that was a same type of thing, just setting them free and going on my own path, knowing my own self-worth. But once I learned my self-worth, I was finally like, what the heck? I finally got angry at him for the first time in my whole life, four years ago. It was very bizarre. Wow, Tiffany, I have just so much respect for you and for what you've been able to um, overcome, grow. Uh, it is unbelievable. When you were sharing your experience with PTSD or like the response, I was wondering, well, is it because maybe you're concerned that by disagreeing, you're putting yourself in a danger or you don't know how he's going to respond? Or would you say that that is directly related to the Stockholm Syndrome? Definitely the Stockholm Syndrome. Growing up, there were violent moments of the sexual abuse. Uh, sometimes it felt like I was in a relationship with him. Sometimes I felt like I was his slave. You know what I mean? It just kind of depended on the situation and what mood he was in. So yes, I used to be, had severe fear of him, but I was more fearful of him not liking me. So that's why I just turned into the type of person who was everything he wanted me to be. Because I was, you know, my soul survival depended on him. Like he was in charge in a sense. Growing up, like once we moved past that. So when I was 13, that all stopped. And then I didn't tell anybody till I was 17. But even after I told people, I was still like, I waited until he moved out of the house because I was protective of him. Like it was Stockholm syndrome through and through. I didn't want him to get kicked out of the house. I was worried for him, all that kind of stuff. And so it was very interesting that he and I had more of a, what people would consider like a close friendship kind of relationship. Nobody knew. Anybody outside my immediate family had no idea he was one of my abusers. And it's because I was very kind about him. Um, so it, he wasn't violent. I wasn't scared of his violence, except for when I was young, you know, quite young, but he was just more kind of the, the low key. He's somebody you would never assume would abuse anybody. Everybody likes him very non-reactive, emotionally speaking. So he's not like you see in the movies where this guy's a total psychopath and angry and beating people. Like that was not his personality type. And so many times abuse comes from people you least expect it. That's something else I teach. And I teach parents actually how kids are inadvertently groomed into not knowing to tell about an abuser. So that's, that's a very big passionate topic of mine as well. Wow. You've been through a lot, and also I, I can tell that we've also been able to overcome so many of these uh, challenges. So please, everybody who's listening and who is so deeply, you know, inspired by Tiffany, like I am, after this episode, please go out and check out her information because she's phenomenal, and we'll we'll share all the links in the show notes. But just a, really a, a call out to Tiffany. So Tiffany, right now we're in this time of a shutdown, and. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of statistics about the increase of domestic violence at this time. So what can women do to protect themselves better and even, let's say, de-escalate challenging situations? Yes. You know, it's tough. It is so tough, especially with COVID going on right now with the shutdown. You're right that domestic violence cases have increased dramatically and even more intensely. One of the things is I'm going to challenge the women, you know, anybody who's going through this right now, I'm going to challenge you to tell somebody. And even if they don't do anything about it, I want you to just speak up because I was going through domestic violence and I, to the world, was putting on that there was no problem. Everybody thought I had the greatest marriages in the world. And little did they know so much was going on behind closed doors. So my very first thing is if you are legitimately unsafe, like fearing for your life on some level, I want you to hear 
that you are worth fighting for. Like you have worth in this world and letting somebody abuse you in that way, it's something that it can stop. And the biggest thing that I know is happening in your mind if you are in an abusive relationship, the biggest thing is your fear of abandonment. Because my ex-husband shot a gun at me and I stayed with him. And he raped me and I stayed with him. And what I realized is I had less fear of dying than I was about being alone and my fear of abandonment. So the first thing I would invite you to do is start taking a look at your own self-worth and taking those steps, but also understanding that you are worth fighting for, honestly. And so that's that side of things in your mindset. But then the second piece of that is like physically what we can do and de-escalation wise. So a funny little trick, I know this is weird sounding, but your number one priority is your safety. Okay. It's not being right. It's not, you know, like we all of a sudden start to get in a little escalated conversation with our significant other, our spouse, and all of a sudden it starts to escalate. And then we want to be right too, right? I will say, and this is me being fully transparent again, that I was in two abusive marriages, but sometimes I would not back down. Like I wouldn't put my safety first, you know, like, so they would drop a bomb in this, you know, some emotional bomb. And then I would get either sometimes sad, sometimes I'd cry, but sometimes I'd get straight up angry and I would start screaming. And all that did was escalate the situation like tenfold. And so I wasn't putting my safety first. I was putting my ego first. And so my number one thing is prioritize your safety over your ego. Okay. And then a couple little tricks about de-escalating the situations is, this is a funny trick, but when you repeat not word for word, but when you repeat what somebody says, they tend to feel more heard and understood. And so if they were to say something like, you're such an idiot, I can't believe you, blah, 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 you know, whatever, be like, you know what, I know sometimes I make mistakes, but, you know, and da, 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 da. So if you just were kind of repeat the concept back to them, and I'm only talking about if somebody is like, you don't deserve to be spoken to in that manner, okay? But if it's starting to escalate to where you know it's probably going to get violent, start using some of these de-escalation techniques, okay? So one of them is doing the repeat game where you're actually starting to repeat what they say and you stay calm and nod along, give your head nods like you agree with them. So agreeing with them and repeating are two very powerful things. These are some things that um, negotiators who are negotiating hostages and kidnappers and stuff like that, when they're negotiating, one of their tactics is actually doing this repeat game, okay? Because it has the people feel understood. And then also formulating a plan. 80% of the time we're attacked by someone we know. And a lot of times that is in the domestic violence situation. So formulating a plan, an exit plan, if you're ready for that step, it's so easy for other people to be like, what? He hit you? You just need to leave. I understand the psychology of why that's not easy. Okay. So starting to at least formulate a plan of how you would exit that relationship without escalating. So it's not like in the middle of an escalated argument and you're just going to leave because he's probably going to come after you. Okay. So we want to formulate a plan to leave when things are calm, when he's at work, when whatever. So formulate a plan, already reach out to somebody. And then the last little bit is having some self-defense techniques where you can overcome him. So either having pepper spray in your hand or, you know, like pepper spray on you. So if he starts to attack you, you you spray him. It's non-lethal. You won't hesitate to use it because he's not going to go blind from it. And you're not going to be in the court system for years and years. If Like if you shoot somebody, you have to be really, really willing to use that gun. 
Like you have to do that without hesitation. Pepper spray is something that you can just temporarily blind and force his eyes closed for 15 minutes so you can get out kind of thing. So maybe having a pepper spray in your pocket, whatever it may be, in your nightstand. But then also just learning some basic self-defense. It's even just to get out of the situation where you don't have to like, excuse me, but gouge his eyeball out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like where you can actually understand how the body moves, the physics of the body. So you can actually use leverage, get him off of you and get some space between you guys. And that's what, that's exactly what I teach people to do. So, um, but my number one thing is start working on your own self-worth because that is the only reason you're in that relationship right now is because you feel like you deserve it on some level because He's showing you, he, she, whoever, it's validating your own thoughts about yourself, that you're worthless and, or have a lack of self-worth. And so when you can actually step up your self-worth and start working on yourself, literally my personal development course, my online personal development course, it's a 12-week transformation of exactly how I went from feeling worthless, suicidal in an abusive relationship to feeling like the person I am today. And that's why... It, it starts with that because you won't leave. I know this. You won't leave until you're ready, until you know that about yourself, that you're worth fighting for. Wow. This is just phenomenal. And I'm so grateful that you're here today, that you're sharing your message so powerfully with the world and helping so many women out there who need your help. For everybody, please do check out Tiffany's course. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes you are worth fighting for. That's a key message of today's conversation. So Tiffany, I do have like two last questions for you. Sure. Uh, first is, uh, what does being a warrior mean to you? You know, I think it's exactly what you just said is knowing that you are worth fighting for and shifting out of victim mentality, kind of just tipping your hat and saying goodbye, putting that sweet old version of you to bed. Because when we're living in victim mentality, there's no way we're going to be successful at business, relationships, our health, our happiness. You know, staying stuck in victim mentality, it's tough. It affects everything. And keeping in mind, and this is hard for people to hear, I didn't want to hear this at first, but if you are staying stuck in victim mentality, it's because you're getting something out of it. It's meeting some of your needs. And so being a warrior in my mind is being willing to finally say yes to yourself and shift from victim mentality into the woman and the version of you that you were meant to live in. Yes, that is so beautiful and a great way to wrap up that conversation today. So Tiffany, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, ask you questions? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the easiest ways is my website. It's just Tiffany Armstrong. Dot net and it's T-I-F-F-A-N-Y. So TiffanyArmstrong.net, you can send me messages right from there. I love to talk to people individually and help support them. And, you know, whether people are interested in more the self-defense side of things and learning to protect themselves, I always weave in mindset work. But then I also have that, my personal development, my mindset training that's called leveling up your mind as your most powerful weapon. So, and then I also work with people one-on-one to help shift their lives in that way. So just tiffanyarmstrong.net is the easiest way for people to get a hold of me. Excellent. Well, definitely put all the information in the show notes. And actually I thought it came to my mind. If you do have some videos you'd like to share, maybe we could share some self-defense tips, maybe YouTube link. Uh, we can all take a look and see it visually. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Um, this was such an honor. I learned, I learned so much from you. And I hope that more women will find you and will be able to break through the vicious cycle of victim mentality, low self-worth, and will be able to 
step up to new life through the help you can provide to them. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, absolutely. And I love what you do too. Thank you for being on this mission. We're in this together for sure. Here's a quick announcement before you go. The holiday season is upon us, which means that you'll be probably spending more time with your families. And so will I and the Fearless Warrior podcast team. So we'll be taking a short break during the week of Christmas to honor our time with our families and celebrate the holidays. However, we'll be back on December 30th with a strong message for 2021. What you can look forward to is how to show up in the new year, how to reclaim control in the seemingly uncontrollable world and set yourself up for success regardless of circumstances in your life. So mark the date, December 30th in your calendar and make sure to tune in. Now, I want to thank you to all of you who've been supporting this podcast, who've been listening to the weekly episodes and sharing your feedback with us. Your feedback is extremely valuable, so please keep it coming and let me know what you'd like to hear about next. I wish you a wonderful holiday season with your friends and family. Let's use this time to express our gratitude for blessings and be a blessing for others. You never know who can use your help and whose day you can enlighten even if you just smile or say hello. So have a wonderful time and God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you for spending some time with me and most of all, for investing time in yourself. If you found value in this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our episodes. This will greatly help us spread the word and help others find it more easily. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Denny Timras. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of today's conversation. I always welcome any feedback or questions. Remember, now that you're here, you're part of a tribe. In this tribe, we care for each other. We lift each other up as well as share the raw, honest, unpolished truth that we often need to hear. So before you go, think about the next best action you can take to get you on your path to success. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make a commitment and do it now. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great day.